We're in a really wonderful place in the Word of God. Turn with me to Ephesians, the second chapter. We're going to look at the 17th to the 22nd verse. I, I know I say this way too often, but if there was one place in one... <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And, and I'm telling you, it's not... It's, it's, it, it's the truth. It comes up, boils up from within me. This place in Scripture is incredible. If, if I were given an opportunity to preach a message that, that perhaps would be the last one, this again would be one of those places. We could spend so much time in the book of Ephesians. If we only had this book the rest of our lives, it would be sufficient to preach through it. There is so much within it, so much to, to try to, to gather You see, so far we've seen, by the grace of God, Paul is trying to share with us very vividly, not so much who we are in Christ, that's so important to understand who we are, but what Paul is trying to allow you and me to understand is, who is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit concerning our lives? What do they mean to us? What is the the overwhelming privilege of of their existence so that they would function within our lives. And, and, and what Paul wants to do is to make each of us so secure in, in what we believe, so secure in who God is within our own existence, within our own lives, that He has presented God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit to us in such a fashion that you'd have to want to miss it, to see who they are. Paul is trying to explain to us in these chapters the overwhelming, the overwhelming privilege it is that, that we know God. That He's not some vague God out there. That He has revealed Himself to us. And in His revealing Himself to us, Paul wants to make sure that you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, are secure in who we are in Christ because of who He is within our lives. And so he has told us already in chapters 1 and chapter 2, but it's primarily in chapter 1, that our past is covered. That we are holy, we are positionally before God, holy and blameless. He is created us to be that once we come in our present to trust and believe in Jesus Christ, God the Son. Because God the Son has redeemed you and me. He has in this present time secured our faith so much so that He has forgiven us all our sin, which allows us to be holy and blameless before God. And God the Holy Spirit says that He will, with a pledge to us, we are sealed in Him and He will present us before God in the future. We are secure. And so last week we saw Paul wrote that, that, that once we're in this, this family of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we have the privilege of having peace. Not only peace with ourselves and peace with one another, but more importantly, the very essence of, of why we have the security of who we are, we have peace with God. We have this peace with God. Without this peace with God, 
I don't know how any of us would really exist because of of who we are and, and what we are as human beings, because we have this sin nature that lives within us and will be within us until the day that we die. We have, some of you probably not as much as some of us, but we have this, this sense of unworthiness, of, oh, of all the people, how could God give me this privilege? Certainly, he, certainly he wouldn't give me this privilege because, because I sin so frequently. I fall so short. Paul wants you to know, no, no, no. No, you are secure. You're secure in who you are because of what God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit has done within your life. That's who they are. That's, that's who they are for you and me. And so we have this peace. And see, what Paul is doing, this book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, we're, we're going to finish the second chapter today. We still have one more chapter that explains the wonders of God and what He means to us and who He is. But once we get into chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul's going to sense, at least he's hoping, that he's taught this well enough that, that we who have listened to these first three chapters will now realize finally what we are to do with this life that has been presented us. How do we now function within the church? How do we function on this earth so that people will see us for who we truly are, children of, of the Most High God? Well, today, God bless Paul's heart. He's going to secure you and me as strongly as he knows how. And, and I'm really going to pray, and I want you to pray along with me that this message will, will touch your heart as, as deeply as it touched mine. I asked people last night to uh, something I don't normally do, and that is to stand. It, it kind of happened, I might say accidentally, because I had no notes to do something like this. But as I finished my message and I said, if you, if you want... If you want all that God has given you, will you? And a guy just stood in the front seat. He went. He just stood up. I mean, he jumped up. And I said, he read my notes. <laughs> and and so I wasn't going to say stand up, but I was going to say something about your heart and commit. And because I get intimidated to ask anybody to to do something in church that that might make them feel uneasy in that fashion. And, and, and everybody, everybody, the church was standing at the end and they were just play, praising God. And it was, an, it was a very wonderful uh, Saturday evening, I, I must admit. I, I really love Saturdays. I love Sundays. I, I guess I love just meeting with you. Just meeting with you like this is, is everything to me. It's everything. You've given, you've given this man... You've given me more, more privileges um, than anyone really deserves uh, on this earth. It, it, to say that I love you is, is truly an understatement. It, it, I can't express it enough. I, I can't wait to spend eternity with all of you. And just, just see the wonders of what God has for us. We saw last week that Jesus Christ came to give us peace. Two areas of peace. Number one, in Romans 5.1, we read that Paul wrote, 
Therefore, he says, having been justified by faith, in other words, being a part of the family of God through faith, you have now peace with God, he writes in Romans 5.1. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And as I also mentioned just a second ago, without peace with God, you and I really have nothing that we can hold on to here in this earth. Until we settle the question of who we are and who is God in our lives and no security that we have through God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, until we have that sense of His peace and peace with Him, we really have nothing. That's the, that's the starting point. But also, Jesus Christ says once we come to believe and trust in Him, we also have peace with ourselves and peace with one another. That's seen here in Ephesians chapter 2. As we read last week in verse 14, it says, For He Himself is our peace, who has made both groups, that's Jew and Gentile, but, but the essence of this message, or the message last week, wasn't really just for Jew and Gentile. Of course, it was written for that, but it's for all of us who believe that, that He has made groups of us into one. He has broken down the barrier of the dividing wall we read and, and we, we mentioned last week that when Jesus Christ broke down the barrier of the dividing wall, He at that point placed all believers on equal footing. We are all, we are all together in this thing called Christianity. There, there are no quote-unquote superstars within the family of God. We are all one in Christ because, because it is He who has gifted us. And so none of us can brag over what we have. We have what we have because He has given it to us. In fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18, he says, God has placed the members. In other words, the members of the body of Christ. He has placed each one of us in the body just as He desired then who of us, if He has done that for us, who of us can brag? Who of us can say, oh, and forgive me, I, I use myself, but who of us can say, I'm the senior pastor, excuse me, can you, get out of the way. No, no, we don't have that right. And, and the one thing that I long for in my life is that I want to be one of the guys, one of the gals. I want to be one of us. I don't want, I, I don't want, I understand it and I fully accept what goes along with that call. But that call came from Him, not because of anything any of us have. He's the one that's gifted us. And so to stand off and like we have these people of importance within the church is foolishness. And so to solidify this equality, this unity that we should have within the body of Christ, Paul says there is but one. Really, there is but one within the body of Christ that we must build our church upon. And today, he's going to explain very, very wonderfully that our foundation, our cornerstone, is none other than Jesus Christ. Please read with me. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 17 to verse 22, this is holy, holy ground. 
Paul writes, and he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. I want you to know, folks, if it isn't, if it's at all possible by the grace of God to understand verses 17 to 22 is a very, very wonderful understanding of the Word of God and who we are because of who God is in our lives. As you and I have just read, and we're going to mention again, we are fellow citizens with other saints. We are a part of God's household because we have been built upon the foundation the very cornerstone of our church, of every church, of any church that opens its doors. We are the foundation of the cornerstone who is Jesus Christ. He is the only one that we must exalt amongst us. All the rest of us are on equal footing. Let's pray. Father, please open up our eyes, our hearts, our minds, our thoughts. Give us this half an hour, Father, that we might hear wonderful, wonderful news from your wonderful, wonderful Word. May we behold the wonders of your Son, Father. May we see the wonders of who you are. May we understand the greatest privilege that we could have ever asked for, ever, ever asked for on this earth, somehow, some way. You have quickened yourself so that we might know you. You have given us that privilege. And in knowing you, Father, we have received more than we ever could ever deserve. Please, dear Father, move me aside. Please, dear Father, move me aside. Let us, let us, if, if never before, let us at least this time see the wonders of your words. See the wonders of who you are, who your Son is, who the Holy Spirit is within our lives so that we might understand how secure we are and know for certain that we have peace with you and therefore peace with one another. Please, dear Father, bless this time, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Look, as verse 19 informs us, we are no longer strangers. We are no longer aliens. Because of Jesus Christ, we are now, it says in verse 19, fellow citizens with the saints. We are of God's household. As if being part of God's divine kingdom is not enough, Paul informs us that our glorious God has made you and me a part of His household. Because we choose to identify with His Son, Jesus Christ, God therefore sees and treats each and every one of us just as He does His Son. And that is with infinite love, personal care, 
a tenderness. He treats us as family. Forever members of his household. Paul, who wrote these words, if you want to, please hold your place here. Turn with me to Romans chapter uh, 8. Look with me at verses 14 through 17. Paul, who penned these words, I think penned it in a much more deeper fashion when he wrote Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, because he says, Now you and I have a privilege of calling this almighty, all-magnificent God. We get to call Him by a very personal name. Look at verse 14 of Romans chapter 8. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons and or daughters of God. Because he says in verse 15, you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but rather, he says, you have received a spirit of adoption as sons or daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. You know what that means? We get to call God Almighty Daddy. How amazing is that? We get to call God Almighty our daddy. It makes me tear up. How loving can he be? He says, Paul does in verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are, in other words, right now, we are children of God. If we are, and that word with, if there, in verse 17, isn't a word of maybe it is and maybe it isn't. It is a word of certainty. It is a word saying since. In other words, since you are these things, you are children, you are heirs, you are heirs of God, you and I are fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. Now, fellow heirs with Jesus Christ, we have been told by God that He has given how much to His Son? Everything. Everything has been turned over to His sons, and we are fellow heirs of everything. Fellow heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with His Son. We're, we're on the top echelon of His will. <laughs> we get it all. Also, turn back to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. We are also seen as fellow heirs with the saints. That means that every person who has ever placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ are fellow heirs with one another. That means Old Testament saints who looked forward to the coming Messiah, who looked forward by faith that He was going to come and redeem them. They trusted in the coming Messiah by faith in God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you and I today, we by faith look back upon the cross and we see the life and the words and the very essence of who Jesus Christ is, recognizing that He is that Messiah, the Messiah that they look forward to, to seeing and knowing they trusted that He one day would come. We look back and realize that He came. And we all meet at the foot of the cross. And we all become fellow citizens with one another. Living together throughout eternity in unity. I mean, can't you wait to see what some of those old timers look like? I mean, can't you wait to see what they look like? 
I mean, I, I can't wait to see Paul. I really can't wait to just look at him. I mean, gosh, I'm going to bust. I just want to see what he looks like. Because we're going to read today about, about the very, the tenacity of that dear man, Paul. And so we are no longer strangers or aliens. No, we call God the Father, our Daddy. And we are fellow heirs with His Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, there are no longer any second-class citizens within the family of our God. We are all on equal footing with our Lord. As Paul again writes in Romans chapter 10 and verse 12, he says, There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in His riches for all, all who call upon Him. Have you ever called upon Him to be your Lord and your Savior? See the logic of this wonderful truth? Since we are all equal with God, since we are all equal before God, there is no distinction in His eyes. Therefore, God desires us to have no distinction within the church. So it would be foolish for any of us to say, well, I'm, I'm more important than the other person. No, you're not. No, we, none of us are. There's no distinction in God's eyes. He, he has gifted us as He so desired. And since He is the one who has gifted us, none of us can puff up our chests and say, well, I'm, I'm more important than them. God equally accepts each of us. How can we not accept one another? Verse 20 in, in, in Ephesians chapter 2 really only teaches what we as a passion hold to within this church. It states that our church, that God created, was chapter tw chapter tw verse 20 of chapter 2, was built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being our, the cornerstone. Every church ought to be built upon verse 20. If there is a powerful verse, it is verse 20, which tells us all that Jesus Christ is the very foundation and the cornerstone of any church that opens its doors and says, I want to experience and have a knowledge of God. It must be built upon the foundation and the cornerstone who is Jesus Christ. The apostles and the prophets stood upon the truth that was passed along to them by God, whom they faithfully passed along to you and me, so that we can hold these truths that they gave to us, the truths that are written within this, our Bible, that we can hold fast to these truths, and by the grace of God, pass these truths along to the next generation until the Lord comes back. And so from generation to generation to generation, we are to be passing along these wonderful truths of God so that we might understand who He is within our lives. Therefore, who are we along with Him? You see, verse 20 does not allow anyone to build the foundation upon the apostles and or the prophets. They are not the foundation. The language here, the Greek language, allows us to recognize that the foundation is the issue, not the ones who pass the foundation out. 
The foundation that the apostles and the prophets gave to us refers to the divine revelation that they received and taught that generation that they lived in the truths of what God told them to say. And you and I are to do the same thing. And we are to take this, His Word, and not vary from it. We are to teach it as clearly as we know how, faithfully as we know how. Hold your place here and turn to the left. You'll go past Galatians and you'll come to 2 Corinthians and turn to 1 Corinthians. Keep going to the left a little bit. Look at chapter 3. I want you to see what Paul said about himself. Paul spoke of himself as a wise master builder who laid a foundation. But I want you to listen to what Paul says about this, this wonderful gift of laying this foundation. He says in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, According to the grace of God, which he says was given to me. In other words, Paul couldn't brag over what he had. It was all given to him by God. He says, According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, note, I, Paul said, laid a foundation. And he says, another is building on it. But, he says, let each person be careful how they build upon this foundation. Because, he says in verse 11, no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, namely, Jesus Christ. You see, Paul and the other apostles laid a foundation, and he says another is going to be building upon it. Do you know who that another is? That another is us. We have a part of the privilege of building upon that foundation that they laid. And that foundation was built upon the cornerstone of every church, and that is none other than Jesus Christ. So, you and I must be careful how we build upon the foundation which Paul speaks of. Listen, no, no cult... No religious system or organization has any right to come in and change what Paul and the others have laid out before us. We're to build upon what they built upon. And we can't vary from it. Shame, shame, shame on any church that, that opens its doors and, and doesn't teach the Word of God because they, they don't want to offend. Where in the Bible does it say that we should do that? Nowhere. We're to use the Bible and teach the Bible because the Bible, the Word of God, is what changes and transforms lives. Not our great preaching. Not our great knowledge. It is the Bible that does its work. So Paul informs us, we who are the another that's going to come after us, listen again to 1 Corinthians 3.11. He says, no one, nobody should lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We need to be careful. This right here, this right here is the foundation. We all have it. It's the foundation that we are to build the church and our lives upon. It is the true foundation, which is none other than Jesus Christ. You see, the apostles and the prophets are not the ones who we build our church upon. 
The church must be built upon the true foundation, the true cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. And so when the days are done for me to be through preaching here, we need not worry or, or take a deep breath and say, well, who's, who's going to be next? Don't even worry about it. God's got someone much better, much more special for us. And the one who comes after whomever it is that does whatever we do here at this church, that person who does it is not the one that's important. The one that's important is Jesus Christ. The one that we build our foundation, our lives upon. He is the cornerstone. I, I want you to see how, why I love Paul so much. Uh, back to Ephesians. Turn to the left again. The book just before Ephesians is Galatians. Look at Galatians chapter 1. Listen to the strong warning. Listen to the, the, the strength of Paul. And he is writing this to the church at Galatia. And he is writing it while he is still alive. He, of course, he is writing this though right after he had spoken to these people. And watch how quickly they fell apart. How quickly they, 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 they got away from the truth that he taught them. He begins by saying in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6, I'm amazed. I mean, just, just those words, you, you've got to stand back and say, Oh, what are you amazed at, Paul? He says, I am amazed that you are so quick, quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Which is not really another, he says, only there are some who are disturbing you. They want to distort the gospel of Christ. Could you not imagine Paul and some of the churches across America today who, who don't preach the Bible, who just kind of preach some sort of philosophy, if he was to come alive again and sit in the first row and have this pastor start preaching some foolishness, I would imagine him to stand up and maybe even stand on his chair because he's not so tall and say, I'm amazed. I'm amazed that, that you're teaching this foolishness, that you have distorted what we have passed on to you. That you're disturbing the people who come to hear the truth of God. And then he might say in verse 8, if, if we were to come, or an angel from heaven were to come, this is in verse 8, and preach to you a gospel that is contrary to what we have preached, let that person be accursed. He said, do you hear me? Verse 9, as I've said before, he says, I'm going to say again now, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, that person is to be accursed. It means to be damned into hell. You know why I love Paul? There you go. That's it. You don't have to read any further. Boy, he's feisty. You preach a gospel contrary to what we laid, Paul says? To hell with you. That's what he said, not me. I'd love to have that kind of guts. I love what he says. And then he says in verse 10, the very essence of our lives as Christians, he says, am I seeking favor of men? Or of God? Am I striving to please men? You know, he says, if, if I were trying to please men, I, I'm sorry, I can never read this without crying. 
If I was trying to please men, he says, I, I wouldn't be a bond servant of Jesus Christ. That's the very essence of why I live. By the grace of God, to my knowledge, I've never preached one message these 20 whatever years I've been preaching to please the congregation. Never. Never once. I love you with all my heart, but never once have I considered you my ultimate audience. I've always done what I've done. I'm crying. So by the grace of God, I might hear, well done. It wasn't really great, but it was the best you could do. <laughs> well done. You see, Paul's motive in telling the truth isn't to please us. It's to please God. For he is a bond servant of God, and so are we. We're of God's household. We're fellow citizens. We're a part of that, that privilege of being a slave for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So turn back, please, to Ephesians chapter 2. In verse 20, we hold within our hands precious, precious words, which come to us not just from the apostles and the prophets. No, these words that we hold come directly from our God and so we are to be careful, very, very careful of how we build upon these words that are written within this book. Shame. Shame on any church. Shame on anyone who comes haphazardly to the Word of God to teach its truths. God's Word warns you and me, be careful. Be careful how you build this foundation because it has been built upon the foundation of the prophets and the apostles who received it from Jesus Christ so that the church would get off on this straight path so that we might know God perfectly. God says it must be through Jesus Christ, He alone. So the foundation that you build upon better be the foundation that Paul and the apostles and the prophets laid. And that is the word of Jesus Christ concerning himself. Jesus said clearly, didn't stutter when he said in John fourteen six, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And nobody comes to the Father but through me. How much more plainly can he say it? All the other religious cults and organizations who call themselves quote-unquote Christians but pervert the very Word of God, they're wrong. We shall not do that to the best of our ability. We believe what Paul wrote in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name that has been given among mankind by which we must be saved. He's the only way. He's the only way to salvation. Not the good things that you do, not how nice you are or how much work you do within the church. None of those things are meaningful. Those things are just an expression of who we are once we've come to believe and trust in Christ. But He is 
the very essence of our salvation. There is salvation nowhere else, no other name. He is the only foundational cornerstone. Verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 2, He is the only foundational cornerstone in whom the whole building is being fitted together and is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. You see, without the cornerstone, the whole building will crumble. The structure depends upon Christ. Let me tell you, when he talks about a building, he's not talking about a place with four walls and a roof. He's talking about you and me. We are the, we are the, the saints. We are the church. And without the cornerstone, the foundation within your life and my life, we will crumble. We depend upon Jesus Christ. And verse 21 tells us we are being fitted together. We are growing daily into this holy temple. It's not a building, it's us. We're being fitted together. We're growing daily. This tapestry that is called Christianity is being fulfilled by you and me, those of us who have come to Jesus Christ and have trusted in Him by faith, we are being fitted together in this structure that is called God's holy temple. That's us. We are held together by the foundational cornerstone that is Jesus Christ. And this building, this foundation, this structure, God's holy temple, will not be completed until the last of God's called ones come to Him And so he says in verse 22 of Ephesians 2, in whom you, you also, are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. The word dwelling there is a long Greek word. Let me see if I can at least spell it to you. K-A-T-O-I-K-E-T-E-R-I-O-N. It carries with it the idea of being permanent. This dwelling that you and I are being built together is a permanent home which verse 21 tells us is growing. Let me ask you something as we close. Are you the one that God is calling today? Are you the one that He says, Come, come to be? Are you the one that will help finish perhaps a part of the middle of the temple, or by the grace of God, can we be the one who is the last brick to be laid to set into motion the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Who is that one? You who were at one time a stranger and an alien, whether you were far off or near, He has preached peace to you. Peace with God. Peace with one another. He desires to make you and me citizens, family, a part of His household. He has called you to come to Him. I simply stand here and repeat what He says. Come, follow me, said Jesus Christ. Come, make a statement for me, says Jesus Christ. Come, Fit into my temple, says Jesus Christ. Come, grow with the family of God, along with those of us here at the Rock. If you've never once asked Christ into your heart,
You cannot remember a time where you've made that statement of faith. Don't put it off. Ask Him, forgive you of your sin. Ask Him to come into your life. Ask Him to be a part of whatever it is that you're doing so that you might be a part of His forever family. If you've never made that statement of faith, don't put it off. Please don't. Nobody can guarantee you or me this afternoon. Nobody can. Nobody can guarantee you or me this evening. Nobody can. Nobody can guarantee you tomorrow. Nobody can. That is why the Bible says, now is the day of salvation. Today is the day. Because you and I don't know what lies before us this afternoon, this evening, or tomorrow. I bet, I bet you Pastor Bill could come up here and, and tell you the quickness of how things have uh, kind of were, were lost in a moment, you know. And, and, and I bet Dolores can tell you how, how her heart must have sunk to see her husband laying there in that quick of a moment. By the grace of God, it wasn't a stroke. It wasn't what they thought it was. It was just a, not just, but it was a bee sting that put him on his back. Who would have known? Who would have thought that it could have happened that fast? How many of us? For those of you and I who know the Lord, He wants us to have peace with God. Peace. He wants us to live our lives so that we might encourage others to find that same peace that we have been privileged to have. He wants you and me to live. Live a life that draws people into God's household. Well, if you're here this morning and you don't know that you've ever accepted Christ, would you pray with me right now? For those of you who know Christ... If there needs to be any forgiveness asked in your heart, why don't you take care of that? Why don't you ask the Lord to forgive you so that you might have your peace with Him? For those of you that have never accepted Christ, you don't need to close your eyes. You don't even need to bow your head. The reason we do that or someone asks us to do that, well, I don't know. I guess we bow our heads out of respect. I'm not sure. It's not the position of your body or your eyes that is important before God. It's the position of your heart. Would you love to have Jesus Christ come into your heart, your life, to forgive you of your sin? And simply say, Jesus Christ, forgive me. Forgive me of my sin and allow me to be a part of of your kingdom, your household. No longer a stranger, no longer an alien. I hear your call for peace. Peace with you and peace with myself. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I ask these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. My study of the Word of God 
doesn't necessarily believe that you need to come forward. God knows. I don't need to know. The reason we'd love to know is to help you grow. That's it. In a nutshell. The reason we'd like to know is to help you to grow. When I first accepted Christ, I didn't want anyone to know. In fact, I went to the guy and I said, Look, I accepted the Lord, but don't tell anybody. And at that meeting that night, the guy that was leading the meeting says, We have a new brother here. And I'm thinking, I wonder who that is, because I know I just told the guy not... (laughs) Because I know I just told the guy, don't tell a soul. See, I thought all Christians wouldn't gossip. A little... How did I know we were just like everybody else in the world? And so he said, John, Werhas, come forward. I was never so embarrassed in my life. Never so embarrassed. I, I thought, man, they're just like everybody else, aren't they? I came up and sitting about where you are, Barbara, was the dearest woman. And the guy said to me, tell everybody your testimony. I didn't even know what the word testimony meant. I didn't know that. What, what, tell them what? I didn't know what to say. But this woman, sitting right where Barbara is, smiled at me. I love you. Like she does every once in a while when I get to eat her great food. And somehow or another, I got strength from this woman. I would love to know what I said. To this day, I have no clue. But I do remember the embarrassment of coming forward. And I thought, you know, I'll never do that. I'll never embarrass you. I think God knew. I accepted him. I don't think it was necessary necessarily for everyone to know. Although I see the importance of being part of the body. I see it. I understand it. But my sensitivity to you as someone who loves you deeply is is not to put you on a spot. I'll let God do that. I'll let God do that. And he'll do a good job, much better than us. If you've accepted Christ right now and you want to, you can go talk to Pastor Wes and he'll give you a Bible and he will try to encourage you. And I guess he's going to tell you you're not going to be on a mail or anything like that, which I don't know you can believe or not, to tell you the truth. <laughs> if, if we can, we'll try to nab you. That's not true. I already prayed, but let's pray again. Father, I want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for Paul's words in this great book of Ephesians. It is, it is a magnificent, magnificent letter. No wonder it's a circular letter. No wonder, Father God, you chose for that to be preached to all the churches. May we have done you honor, Father, by how we tried to preach these words. May we have blessed you, Father, Our intent is to please you. For those of us here that already know you, but we need to straighten out our lives. And some have this morning. I sense in my spirit some of us have asked you to, to forgive us and to just straighten things out. Thank you for that morning, this morning decision. Bless us all, Father, now as we go. Wherever it is you might take us, I pray in Jesus' precious name. I love you all. 
more than life itself. Thank you for being here. I will see you next week by the grace of God. Have a great day. Bye-bye.